0: and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane rich And
1: this is Dusted, your callous and strange Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. (laughs) Isn't that a great line? I like that line. This
0: week, we are looking at the 13th episode of season three of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Zeppo. And Uh we've said it before and we'll say it again. This is one of your favorites.
1: I do. You know, I love any episode that looks at Buffy or looks at the world from a different perspective. I always, always love those. Plus, this is written by Dan Weber, who... As you may remember, wrote Lover's Walk, which was right number one with a bullet and has been ever since. Been defending its territory there.
0: That's it. He yeah. wrote this. He wrote this Lover's Walk. and Lover's Walk. That's it for Buffy.
1: Came in, knocked it out of bat the park, the and hand. was like, done. Yeah. Dropped the mic and walked off.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> This episode also directed by James Whitmore Jr., who does a great job. This is his last turn at bat for Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. This is his last of five episodes. Previously, he directed I Only Have Eyes for You, Dead Man's Party, Beauty and the Beasts, and Gingerbread. I think he goes out on something of a high here, directorially speaking, because yeah. this is not a simple and straightforward episode of Buffy.
1: No, it's definitely not. It's, this it's is, different they spent a lot yeah. of
0: money mm-hmm. on a joke here, yes, they did. <laughs> and I applaud that. Basically, the more you can commit That's to a silly bit of buffoonery mm-hmm. and absurdity, right. the happier I am likely to be. So this is going to be a slightly complicated episode, of course, because this has a ton to say about The Buffyverse, about the cosmology and the mythology that unites these things. But I feel as though we kind of have to frame the discussion right off the bat by opening up a question. We're going to unusually address one of our talking points before we even get into the breakdown of the episode. And that question is this. How much of this episode is exaggerated because we are in Xander's POV?
1: The more... The better, I think. I think that ah, this this idea that these sisters of Jay, that this you know evil apocalyptic everything is is exaggerated. Um, I feel like that is how Xander feels about these things every week. Um, you know, well, it seems to happen like every Tuesday and for of them. We're yeah, always exactly. more
0: afraid of the thing that we don't really know about or understand right so.
1: right so I feel like every week feels like that every adventure feels like that to him even though right. it may not necessarily be that exaggerated because part of it is that this is this you know big apocalyptic and and Buffy and angel admit that they love each other and it's like all this really big stuff that we don't want to miss on the sidelines with Xander although Xander' story is really cute but at the same time like if you look at it and maybe in in real Buffy world this actually is just another monster of the week but Xander sees it as this big apocalyptic yeah. thing that he's being excluded from I
0: think that the events that we see depicted actually happen mm-hmm. I don't think that Xander fabricates anything
1: but he's not there for a lot of it for, for we're, some of we're it, deep sure. In his POV in this episode. Yeah. But there are a lot of scenes with, uh, you know, with Willow and, um, and Giles. I mean, we see the big fight in the library, parts of it. And Xander's not there
0: for that. No, but he is there when the, the tentacle appendage bursts mm-hmm. through the wall. You know, he sees enough, I right. think, that, that the actual events depicted do take place. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, How much exaggeration there is. How deep we are in his POV. I kind of think pretty deep. Right. And and that actually excuses some of the small problems with the episode. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise the episode is kind of implausible. The idea that Xander would be so efficiently and completely sidelined. The fact that he would be benched Mm -hmm. for this entire adventure is absurd given what we've already seen him go through
1: right and nobody's ever thrown him out before because right right, exactly like so it's it's he's not excluded from the adventures he has a role to play and he's always there to do something you know um in this you know example of course it's getting donuts but but he does do stuff he does help with research he does you know throw out ideas and he's he's Actually pivotal in all of these adventures. So in this moment for him to be sidelined so completely by the rest of the team, especially during a big moment during an apocalypse, he's usually there for all the apocalypses.
0: Well, in fact, the plural of apocalypse will be a plot point in a future yes, episode of the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> uh, I do think that the more we can assume that there's a certain bias mm-hmm. here, the more we can assume that, you know, maybe Jack's knife isn't actually a foot long. No,
1: seriously, that knife.
0: Maybe Xander's yeah. editorializing a little bit here. Right. Mm-hmm. The more that we can kind of at least open up that possibility space, yes, the, the easier it is to overlook some of the stumbling blocks in in the episode. I as think a whole.
1: it makes the stumbling blocks actually function if I we think so see too. it as Xander's POV, and I am happy to take that as canon that this is just Xander's exaggerated POV of his experience being, you know, the Zeppo.
0: Yes. Though I do think that that you know we clearly have to stipulate that all of these things did happen. That right. They you know, mm-hmm. sisters of jay That the the helmath did open. That the tentacle monster did rise. That and destroy who knows the how much damage was done too. Well, okay. I don't
1: know. Like uh, th- uh, some of that stuff. But he's not there. for for it, so what he's not there to actually see. But I don't does, mind that being. It, I exaggerated. was watching
0: very carefully. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I was right with you with that, except that the tentacle bursts through the wall.
1: Uh yeah. That is the thing. No, there of, is that. that
0: that kind of uh, trips us up there.
1: There is. Uh, that. Otherwise,
0: yeah, I'd be happy to say. Well, th- it probably didn't rise. You it's know, there somewhat exaggerated. Wasn't a, a monster, but yeah. we'll get right into that as we move through. I'm sure we open. Oh, we open. I should say after the best and shortest previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer segment <laughs> ever. You're fired. (laughs) There you go. Straight into the action. Boom, into
1: the action, yes. I love that.
0: (laughs) We open in a mist-shrouded cavern. A demon prowls, but Willow dismisses the mist with a spell, allowing Buffy and Giles to attack the beast, pitting it against the wall so Faith can impale it with an unnecessarily large sword. The episode calls out. Yeah. Is that a penis metaphor? More than once. <laughs> and by the end with Xander and Jack.
1: If we're in Xander's getting, POV, everything's a penis here, metaphor exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wonder
0: if Willow can dispel the penis metaphors exactly. that are hanging in the I don't know. End, is there is there a hidden.
1: spell for that kind of thing? Yeah.
0: Giles is knocked down, but not for once knocked out. It takes a minute. <laughs> but they finally remember Xander, who is buried under nearby trash after being pummeled about the head. And that perhaps opens up some of that, that possibility space that we were discussing. Yeah, Xander has been beaten around the head. Yes. It is possible that this is, you know, in part, this entire story unfolds in part as a consequence of his concussion.
1: As a consequence of head trauma. Because
0: if, sure. he, if his head trauma was more severe mm-hmm. than... Right. We're told it is in the episode. Mm-hmm. Him being benched for what is a relatively minor adventure yeah. would actually make a lot of sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But if it's exaggerated because he's gone through this and everything is exaggerated besides the head trauma, which mm-hmm. is which is de-emphasized. Right. I think you're getting to a point where, where you can allow this episode to sit companionably alongside mm-hmm. Buffy as we understand it. Yeah. Do you think there's something to that? Um. Yeah. <laughs> that's non-committal that's I think, very
1: non-committal no because I think that you kind of have to stretch a little bit to, to you know talk about his because if he had like a real serious concussion but then again Giles had like a thousand Giles sure, has been knocked out a thousand times I mean, um, con- concussions in the Buffyverse are a little different so
0: Buffy, Faith, and Giles all advise Xander to stay back in the future, and he responds with a Superman reference for the second episode in a row. That Ah, is a recurring theme, and I'll be watching for those in the future. After the credits in Sunnydale High, Xander is trying to get the attention of a couple of guys playing football, but when the pass is thrown, he fumbles it and knocks Jack O'Toole's lunch out of his hand. Jack, let us be clear, is both manly and intimidating, and not really. But (laughs) Xander tries to diffuse the situation with humor, and what I love about that is this is our first real glimpse of Xander, of who he was before Buffy ever showed up, Mm -hmm. before the Scoobies, you know, (laughs) accreted around her. This is actually who Xander has been for his entire school Mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. He fumbles his way into an uncomfortable situation (laughs) and tries to diffuse it with humor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I buy that read of Xander as being more authentic than pretty much any we've had to date.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Because even Mm
0: -hmm. going back to the pilot, his his awkwardness and his geekiness Mm -hmm. is very much informed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're told that he's a social outcast. We're told he's a loser.
1: Right. Even though he's incredibly handsome and he gets, like, you know, the hottest (laughs) girl in school. Right. Exactly. Even though he's
0: Nicholas Brandon.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) But here I really see how xander's sense of humor yeah and particularly Mm -hmm. that self-deprecating sense of humor Mm -hmm. evolved as a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. i mean that's a tired story and i think that we all understood that to be the case Mm -hmm. but seeing it here it it really works it really connects for me
1: yeah no i think that it definitely does and i mean i see that as being his his sense of his own awkwardness but again it's still it still feels a little informed to me i just don't buy nicholas brendan as a you know, geeky goofball. Well, yeah.
0: This is one of those things that you kind of have to, you have, you have to just have go to with it. Set this episode slightly outside of the He's Hollywood Buffy geek. Continuity. Like,
1: you know janine sure, graffalo is hollywood sure. you know fat yeah, it's or, like- or allison hannigan is you know the <laughs> right. plain girl that no exactly one looks at, exactly know? yes right.
0: there are certain allowances made mm-hmm. for for hollywood casting yes. you're absolutely right jack gives xander the ball with a final threat and xander finds that cordelia watched the whole thing go down xander's not cool and he's not special and he contributes nothing to the scoobies he's the zeppo and as she walks away we get a glimpse of just how much she's enjoying There's, there's no
1: part of that. That wasn't fun. Cordelia is... It is so interesting, especially to see as we move into this, you know, Xander talking with Oz that we're about to get yeah. to, the difference between Cordelia as a woman scorned, yeah. who has no forgiveness in her heart and will just keep coming at Xander. And then we move into Oz, who is totally cool. He's yes. like totally... He's yes. forgiven everything. It's all good. Everything's fine.
0: What's interesting, though, is that we're barely... We're barely acknowledging the Xander Cordelia slash Xander Willow slash yeah, Willow Oz yeah, storyline mm-hmm. here at all. The interactions that Xander has with Cordelia kind of feel like season one interactions, kind
1: of reset to yeah. regular Xander and Cordelia. Which is yeah. another
0: thing that makes me think: mm-hmm. is this is this actually real? Is this actually right. legit? Mm-hmm. The whole thing with Cordelia showing up at the donut shop yeah. feels a little unreal to me. Mm-hmm. It feels a little, I don't know, disassociated right. from our understanding of the Buffyverse and Cordelia, you know, specifically. Yeah. What is Cordelia Chase doing at a donut shop?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the coffee shop is right next door. Maybe she was just walking by
0: and saw that's Xander true. in that's there true.
1: and decided to mock him. I will yes. say,
0: I, I should frame this a little and say that that when I'm looking at these layers mm-hmm. of, you know, reality right. and, and, and wondering how much this can be trusted, I think that's absolutely, you know, allowed mm-hmm. by the script. I think right. the script mm-hmm. is... Beautifully written. This mm-hmm. is is a mechanically precise, enormously functional, enormously rich yeah. piece of writing. And and I I applaud it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the ways in which it is mechanically precise, by the way, is the Cordelia three beat.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That is
0: a pitch perfect, absolutely rock solid, classic textbook three beat. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge, huge it's, it's very fan. well done. In the cafeteria, Xander talks with Oz about being cool. Xander is apparently wrestling with this paradoxical phenomenon for mm-hmm. the first time ever. Right, right. You've been in high school for how many years? Trying to You've figure been out on what the cool planet Earth about, for right. how many
1: years? Well, he's been battling a lot of demons, taking a lot of shots to the head. He's kind of, you know, he's, he's a little slow on these things.
0: I think the shots to the head are exactly <laughs> might have something to are do with exactly it. Exactly right? relevant, mm-hmm. yes. Oz is laconic. Sure, he's cool. Sure. Ooh, but he's in a band. The Xander, we're told, got zero trim in eighth grade after playing the flugelhorn. And there's nothing good about that sentence.
1: Everything is good about that sentence.
0: I don't know if this is a if this is a cultural distinction. I don't know if this is simply Any a piece of slang with which I'm unfamiliar. Any sentence that has flugelhorn and it is good. Yes. It's not the flugelhorn. It's more the trim.
1: Well, OK. In eighth, Short, grade, in eighth grade. To
0: what is Xander referring?
1: I don't even know. Nothing. Right. Nothing yeah.
0: Good. Xander, though, needs to find his thing, that something-something, that je ne sais quoi that makes him special. (laughs) We cut to the library where Giles and Buffy are dealing with the -the end-of-the-world possibilities afforded by the sisterhood of Jay. This is the first of our hard cuts. There's probably a technical term for that where you pick up on a response mm-hmm. that seems to be a part of the conversation.
1: Right. You're leading into, yes, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of a segue. We but, do it yeah. a couple of
0: times in this episode. Yeah, we don't
1: really, I don't know. I'm sure there is a term for that, and I probably learned it in film school, but honestly, at this point, <laughs> I don't remember. Um, it's, but yeah. a
0: very, it's a very common mm-hmm. technique. Yeah. Uh, it's a very common comedic technique, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that hard juxtaposition. Opens right. up some of that discontinuity that, that leads to humor, mm-hmm. he said, in the most dry, analytical way possible, <laughs> as if humor could be distilled and, oh, I see your philosophy of joke. Now <laughs> I shall explain it to you. Um, <laughs> in that moment, though, it feels like a very unbuffy thing. There are mm-hmm. some directorial flourishes here that feel very unbuffy. And I well, think, it's
1: a different episode. I yeah. mean, and I think that that's completely appropriate. Like, I like that we're not, we're changing our visual language a little bit. We're changing right. our um, our kind of dialogue style a little it's, bit. It's to, almost our structural
0: language. Yeah, it's to, almost our, our grammar.
1: You know? Right, to switch out to this entire world from right. Xander's POV.
0: And the other thing that I noticed, too, are the musical cues. The yes. musical cues are are very intrusive mm-hmm. for a standard episode of Buffy. And these are not things that we've seen In other episodes directed by Whitmore, Mm -hmm. you know, this seems to be very specific to this episode. And Whitmore is adept with a great deal of style and panache. We can look back at um, Mm -hmm. I Only Have Eyes For You. Right. I struggled Mm -hmm. for a moment to recall the name of that episode. There you go. We can look back to I Only Have Eyes For You where we see a great deal of directorial style. Right. But it's a very different kind of style. All of these things, all of these elements, all the ways in which this episode is unbuffy mm-hmm. again, prompt me to ask, how deep are we in Xander's POV? I is this really how deep, he yeah. sees the world?
1: I think I think it is, because it is. The jokes are much, much punchier. Oh, yeah. And visually we're we're kind of supporting that. And also the music cues, too, like you said, they're intrusive. They're also not our standard music cues. They are not. They are much, much louder, <laughs> more in your face. And I think that this is the way that Xander experiences his world during yeah. this time of his life. Um, and I actually really like that, that James Whitmore is kind of going outside of that. Obviously he knows how to hit these moments in a standard episode of Buffy. But here he's going, and I mean, you know, we have all the same stuff going on. We have even some dialogue that might have been exactly the same as, but because we're seeing it from this different perspective, what was dramatic, what was this big moment, becomes kind of part of this joke, part of the fun yeah. of it. It's from, yeah. uh, I absolutely, I love it from both a, a script writing and a directorial point of view. I think that it is, it is, Subtle and yet not subtle right. in it, a weird way. It opens yeah. up
0: that ambiguity. Because if this is just the comedy episode of Buffy, right. then all of that stuff works perfectly. Mm-hmm. It, it works as it, within the right. framework of a comedic episode of a, a network mm-hmm. TV show. If it is opening up the possibility that we are deeper in Xander's POV, then it works perfectly for that But too. we
1: have that frantic sense of humor that yeah. Xander has. That, we're yeah, seeing all of this. An I anxious, think that's part of nervous, the brilliance of it is that kind of, yeah. it's not just that we're we're telling jokes because we've been telling jokes in Buffy for a long time. Even in the most serious episodes mm-hmm. of Buffy, there's always jokes. There's always some fun, lighthearted moments.
0: Particularly but, when Whedon's writing or Jane exactly. writing, yeah.
1: But they're addressed in an almost frenetic, desperate, Um, defense mechanism type of humor in the way that they're presented that hard cut where we you know end on a question in one you know scene and then hard cut to the next scene and we're answering a different question but with an answer that would be appropriate to both you know those big moments these camera swishes the the big music everything is about getting attention and it's sort of jazz handy but in a way that Xander is I mean Xander is always hitting the joke he's always going for that in almost a desperate way and I love that they made the visuals they made the visual language represent that um, just represent that point of view it's yeah. it's and the jokes are like that too I mean when you get a, a real deep look at this it's genius
0: oh yeah it's it's immaculately constructed yeah. and yeah. very very well executed indeed exactly in which way. Mm-hmm. It's well executed. <laughs> that is where the discussion lies. But I don't think anyone can come in and say that this is a badly constructed, or badly conceived, or badly written, or badly directed episode right. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like yeah, it kind of exceeds in a million different ways, and, and it's, it's pinning really down. Smart, Wherein yeah. does its brilliance lie? That is the exactly. question. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. To so we cut to the library. We have Giles and Buffy framing the Sisterhood of Jay. This is bad news indeed. Oz appears and locks himself in the cage, ready to spend the evening communing with his canine side. It's that time. Which of the month. I really like Again. that too,
1: because even. Oz, you know, who basically is a werewolf, but other than that, he's just yeah. the the cool guy in the band. But at this moment, of course it's the full moon. Of course this is the moment of where course. Oz has Oz is dangerous and supernatural and as what well. what we see here right? that
0: isn't directly referenced in the script at all is that Oz's thing, you know, mm-hmm, his right. thing that makes him special comes with a terrible price. Yes, it does. A really mm-hmm. terrible price. Yeah. And Oz is, you know, sidelined for the rest of the episode. There's right. very little of Oz in this episode. But just yeah. that reflection is mm-hmm. is is
1: perfect. Right. It's beautiful. Of, you of course that this is his supernatural moment, you know?
0: Buffy, meanwhile, is shaken by the news that the Sisterhood of Jay intend to open the Hellmouth. Remember Prophecy Girl? Yeah, that. (laughs) Hellmouth. Outside the school, we learn that Willow has dreams of facing the tentacle monster while naked, so, you know, fan fiction. They're going (laughs) into research mode, but they're interrupted by Xander in a car. This, he's decided, is his thing, and we're grateful for Uncle Rory's ever-increasing stack of DUIs. (laughs) Buffy is still worried, but Xander's ready to go. Ready to go, in this case, to the donut shop. Hey, car guy, how's that car working out for you? (laughs) <laughs> this is a perfect example because yeah. that is a stunning mm-hmm. car, an absolutely. Oh my stunning God! It is car. beautiful. I really want to to cleave to the theory mm-hmm. that Jack's knife is just a normal-sized knife, right. that Xander sees as being larger than it is, Yeah, that this car is just kind of a beat-up Uncle right. Rory kind but of car. Exactly,
1: because when you think but of, of Uncle Rory,
0: that the girl, you
1: don't think of that shiny... Yes, exactly. The girl
0: outside the donut store probably isn't that girl, Right, but she's cute enough.
1: Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: I love how that all fits together. Yeah. Cordelia stops by the donut store. She, too, has a car, so perhaps there's a connection there. <laughs> And loudly asks if evil is going on. Cordelia is really giving no attention at all to the whole conceit that the people of Sunnydale are unaware of the things that (laughs) happen in their midst. Cordelia is, she says, the surgeon of mean, though striking nerves isn't generally a surgeon's primary intent. (laughs) She's starting to feel like the Jiminy Cricket of mean. Jiminy Cricket's evil twin popping up on Xander's shoulder to remind him that when he wishes upon a star, he'll still be a loser. (laughs) Except for the hot gearhead girl who is interested in the car Mm -hmm. and wants to go for a drive. Score one. For Xander
1: There you go
0: At the bronze The girl is talking cars With Xander She switches out guys Depending on their car And for the first time ever Xander is grateful To see <laughs> Angel Angel is looking for Buffy And decided of course To search the bronze Before heading to the library Despite the fact That we really haven't Spent a lot of time In the bronze this season
1: Maybe the bronze Is on the way From the mansion To the library
0: <gasps> Oh I like that Maybe
1: it's just a That just appeals to my the... instinct
0: To order the geography to, Of Sunnydale. Exactly to
1: like kind of We gotta find a map Of Sunnydale That I makes think. a lot of yeah. sense I I like that. So we would assume,
0: given Angel's normal search patterns, yes. because he has also previously showed up at the library looking for Buffy yeah. when she was at home.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we can basically plot these on a, on a straight line through Sunnydale. The right. garden mansion on one side of town, <laughs>
1: library on the Library, <laughs> graveyard, Yes,
0: I like the idea that perhaps there's only one street in Sunnydale.
1: I think there is. I think that may be it how it all works out. has a coffee shop and a magic shop. And it's and- pretty good. <laughs>
0: So, Angel is searching for Buffy, but stops by the bronze. He's worried, but Xander should stay out of the way. Xander and the girl go out and get in the car, but he carelessly dings the car in front, which just so happens to contain one Jack O'Toole. In the library, Willow and Buffy are watching Oz and researching... Just the worst sorority in the world. They're not making much progress. Buffy's going to have to talk to Willie the Snitch. Giles has to commune with the spirit guides that exist out of time. And Buffy ate three jelly donuts and now there are none left for Giles. <laughs> it's a good thing, at least, that Xander is safe. <laughs> there is nothing about that scene that I, I do not love with my whole I love heart. that
1: moment when Giles says, what, you ate all the jellies? It's like...
0: <laughs> I always have a jet.
1: But it's such a sweet little (laughs) moment of normalcy in the middle of this, you know, apocalyptic, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. it's
0: both a perfect Buffy the Vampire Slayer line Mm -hmm. and a perfect Xander Mm -hmm. line. Right. Which really does lend... You know, a certain weight and authority to this idea that yeah, the sense of humor is much more skewing mm-hmm. toward Xander's specific sense of humor than right. you know, and, and that that everyone is almost in on the joke. You mm-hmm. know, that everyone is is performing as Xander would expect them to perform. But it's a it's a genuinely great moment, and I love how we're able to synthesize you know the the big important moving parts of this plot mm-hmm. with this very straightforward character humor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just adore it. It, it it's is great, fantastic. Great stuff. In the alley outside the bronze, Jack pulls the aforementioned knife on Xander. Mm-hmm. Katie, the knife. Just, yes. You know, so you're introduced. If so you're you going to have
1: a 12-inch knife, you know, casually in your pant pocket. I don't know how
0: you carry uh, that around. There's a shot later when they're in the boiler room where <laughs> yeah. he clearly has it tucked in the back of his pants. Okay. Which makes me think that it's probably not in real life a 12-inch knife. Otherwise, I mean, he just couldn't it's sit insane. down. It's insane.
1: No, that knife is insane.
0: But I like that it's kind of... It's kind of it's fitting for looks no. psychotic And, and
1: the car, you know, yeah. how shiny and incredibly wonderful <laughs> this pristine this car is, you know. Um, yeah, all of it, I think, fits together.
0: I think so, too. So this is Katie, the knife. It's a totally normal thing to, yes. to give your knife a girl's mm-hmm. name. Jack tries to intimidate Xander, even going so far as to give him Katie to hold. And they're just about to get into it when a cop breaks it up. But not just any cop. Allow me to draw your attention, ladies and gentlemen, to another fine performance by character actor Vaughn Armstrong, who has played... Every military officer in every TV show that you've ever seen. No kidding. Go look up his IMDb page. It is all Sergeant this, Colonel this, Admiral this, Major this. Every TV show. He has played, I would imagine by now, every possible rank that exists in (laughs) any armed forces in the world. And some armed forces that don't exist in the world yet. Right. Because he is most known for his role on Star Trek Enterprise, where he played Admiral Forrest Uh, in like 20-some episodes. Great. So he's great. And it was really nice to see him show up in this tiny, tiny little (laughs) part. Mm -hmm. I was less enthused when his appearance was followed up with, oh, well, it wouldn't be a Xander episode without just a little gay panic. Just a
1: little bit, yeah.
0: Xander says, two guys wrestling, but not in a gay way. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, that is what we would assume. So here we have perhaps another theory, another contributing piece of evidence to our ever-expanding theory Mm -hmm. that Xander goes to gay panic Mm -hmm. when he's actually attracted to the guy. Right. If Xander is attracted to Jack, I've got to tell you, the middle third of this story makes a lot more sense.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, maybe a little bit. He's kind of got a Greg Kinnear. He's like crazy Greg Kinnear vibes going on. Kinnear, yes, yes, yes. Poor man's crazy Greg Kinnear.
0: That's. uh... (laughs) Do we have any more modifiers that we'd like to add to that? (laughs)
1: No, but. I think we have an episode title now.
0: (laughs) Jack now is, however, completely into Xander and suggests that, hey, maybe they could just all go cruising. (laughs) It's a totally normal thing that would happen. right? Awesomely, we end up in a graveyard where Jack raises his dead friend. And it's a good thing, too, because we were running out of jocks in Sunnydale. They've recruited Xander as their new wheelman, and they've got tapes full of Walker, Texas Ranger. It's another Thursday night in Sunnydale. (laughs) From graveyard to graveyard we go, picking up bros. Meanwhile, in another graveyard, Giles is communing with the spirit guides in Latin, which, if you are watching on Netflix, of course, doesn't come with captioning. I think we should do a brief dramatic reading. Are you ready for this? I had to go look up the script to get wow. the captions because I don't know what is going on with Netflix I don't know
1: I was watching on Amazon because I watch on Amazon so that uh, when you watch on Netflix it doesn't show
0: up as already watched <laughs> and because we pay for every video and streaming and because we pay for
1: all of the streaming the everywhere right so um, so I watched it and it was actually the uh, the subtitles were there in the Amazon Okay, so, if you have so have it's Amazon just Prime. Netflix yes Amazon Prime
0: <laughs> maybe watch Buffy on Amazon yeah. <laughs> instead but for those of you who watch on Netflix Giles says I'll do Giles and you can do the uh, the spirit voice, how about that? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So Giles says, do not deny me, spirit guide, let the wisdom of those who have passed be showered upon me.
1: These secrets belong to time and dark regions. No mortal shall be privy to the lost knowledge. To reveal them would bring chaos down upon the living earth.
0: The beast must be fought. Our only hope lies in finding its weakness.
1: Seek not, disturb us no longer. And scene. And (laughs)
0: scene, yes. Bravo, (laughs) bravo, thank you. Well, thank you so Uh, much. (laughs) This is Definitely one of the elements that Mm -hmm. makes me wonder about Xander's perspective on these things. Yeah. Because to introduce spirit guides that dwell beyond time, that have a knowledge of the future. Yes. To introduce them into the Buffyverse, to have Giles commune with them. Oh, and by the way, they're conveniently located right here in downtown Sunnydale. Mm -hmm. Just five minutes from the 405. Right. That really stresses our understanding of the verse of the, the, the Buffy cosmology.
1: Right, and the limitations to the knowledge that we have. Like, if this was a possibility, why did we perhaps not go there for Akathla or for the Master or why for any of the other? Why don't we just go there every week like it's an ATM of knowledge? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Are there no lottery numbers to <laughs> exactly. be won from these things? <laughs> if it is introduced in this episode and then discarded, I mm-hmm. mean, you, you can make an argument, I guess, that if we buy that this is a threat, unlike right. any other, if this is the only threat that is serious enough yeah. to compel Giles. Well, there has but to be a consequence
1: he... to, to summoning the spirit guides then.
0: Right, but that means that when he thought the world was going to end at the end of season one right, or the at middle the of, end season of season two, two or, or the end right. of season two, he deliberately looked at the spirit guides that exist beyond time and thought, nah. Not this nuts. time. It's I don't all want the to way bother. on the other him. side of town.
1: I don't want to call him in the middle of the night.
0: If I'm going to get there, you I'm going to go past Buffy's house and then the Exactly, It's just exactly... So this is a problem, mm-hmm. but and, and also it's kind of a problem in that, wow, super splashy special effects for an episode right. of Buffy.
1: except that maybe from Xander's POV, this yes. is what Giles does every week, is that he pulls knowledge out of some <laughs> right. thing somewhere, and that it seems to him to just be this you know, supernatural ATM. I like that explanation,
0: yeah. that mm-hmm. works for me. The spirit guides depart, but Xander shows up. He is raising some heck with Jack, and is looking for a way out, but Giles still wants to keep him on the bench. Everything's going to be fine. As long as we have weeks to prepare. There you go. So once again, Xander is sidelined when right. there's no good mm-hmm. reason to sideline right. him. Mm-hmm. But we cut hard from Giles to Buffy, mm-hmm. who is dealing with Willie the Snitch. And she learns that tonight's the night. Nothing can stop the sisterhood and they're coming hard for Buffy and for Angel. Mm-hmm. If Willie were in Buffy's shoes, he'd be thinking about how to spend his last night on Earth. <sighs> Dun dun dun! Dun dun dun! <laughs> in Xander's car, however, the newly risen dead are planning on how to spend their evening. They finally decide that they're going to bake a cake, and as we know from the Food Network, the first step in baking a cake is robbing a hardware store. <laughs> he sees Willow emerge from the magic store across the street with supplies for a protection spell. The big bad is going down tonight, and Willow hugs Xander, telling him that she loves him. She runs off, but Jack catches him before he can get out of there, too. It's time he was initiated into the gang. Xander has to die. Xander runs, though, leading them through the coffee shop and back to the car where he drives off in a <laughs> screech of tires. Yeah, the whole thing mm-hmm. works better if this is a little dramatized. The whole yeah. thing works better if it's a little more, you know.
1: If, if from Xander's POV, that this is how he sees the world. And I think I love it. I love it looking at it hard from Xander's POV that this is not necessarily a realistic yeah. representation of what actually happened
0: the, the events happened right that he did you know I, I do think that they raised the dead I right. do think that, that although even that that perhaps more than anything else because this is the third discrete kind of zombie yeah that we mm-hmm. have seen in yes. the Buffyverse mm-hmm. this is not you know the guy who was put together in some assembly required right and this is not the dead kind Man's of zombie that, rode, uh, that, that rose yeah. in Dead Man's Party mm-hmm. which of course Whitmer knows only too well because he directed that episode so we're leaning in a different direction here and I wonder I wonder how much of this is actually happening yeah I
1: don't know I don't know Um, I think I think that they are Raising the dead. I think yeah. that they are. I, I, cause I like the supernatural element of it. I like that it is, uh, it is truly dangerous that he's hanging out with this gang of, uh, of guys that are, you know, coming up from the ground. Um, and also that, you know, in order for him to be part of the gang, he has to die, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I like that Xander is dealing with very real supernatural consequences that things are happening that are, that would in any other week be You know the monster of the week that these guys would in any other week you know be like some assembly required or like dead man's party or something like that we would be dealing with them but because all this other stuff is going on that actually he's handling something that is big enough to be a monster of the week but he's doing it on his own without any support from anybody else. While he is usually in a support uh, position, we see him now. And this is one of the things we talk about in writing, that everybody is the hero of their own story. Here, Xander is truly the hero of this particular story. And he's dealing with the monster of the week.
0: Entirely on his own. Yeah, it's interesting that you should you should put it in those terms because, mm-hmm. of course, if there is a weakness to this story, mm-hmm. it's exactly that. Xander is the hero of his own story, yeah. but he lacks the one thing that a hero needs above all others, which is an actual goal. Right. He starts off looking for a, a thing, looking for his cool. He wants to get his mojo on, and
1: he finds it. He's car guy, and then that's it. Like once that goal is settled right right so
0: you're saying that it's the consequence of his goal that actually gets no, him in this trouble. i'm
1: saying i completely agree he's totally reactive yeah. he is and that's one of like structurally a thing that can be difficult in storytelling is when you have a reactive protagonist right. that they're just responding to things that happen that are completely outside of them control not their fault at all and not a result necessarily of anything that they've done the only thing is that he went out and got the car but his goal was to find a thing that that was him to be cool. Um, and then he achieved that by getting the car. And then that part of his, like his actual pursuit of a goal is done. Right. Um, these are not necessarily direct consequences of that. If the car had been Christine and it was like, you know, like it had a ghost in it or whatever, <laughs> wow, then that, that might be more direct. Story, that yes. would have been really fun. Um, but I think that because this is, kind of a fun, funny, light story that you can get away with that to a greater degree.
0: Yeah, though dialing down the threat against Xander, dialing down the intensity of the Monster of the Week story mm-hmm. does open up some credibility gaps Yes, when he discovers the makings of a bomb and he goes off to find Buffy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he also call the police? Right. When he gets to the school, understanding that there is a bomb on the ground, mm-hmm. why doesn't he pull the fire alarm at the very least? Why doesn't yeah. he try and evacuate people at the very least?
1: Well, does he know that they are upstairs because I mean they're going to get blown up perhaps not
0: but he 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 spends a lot of time after hours in the school yeah you know and he runs right past the library Mm -hmm. so it does open up some
1: well I guess because he's dealing with supernatural he's dealing with undead Guys, right, but, but the he's bomb dealing with undead itself guys who is make a bomb from supplies is, that they
0: steal from the right, hardware store. Which this is not is
1: supernatural. Exactly. That that diffusing the bomb is not a supernatural thing. Holding these guys to account would be a right. supernatural thing, which the cops couldn't do.
0: And the bomb well, we'll talk about the bomb yeah. again. But the, the bomb remains a problem yeah. because because it's not supernatural. Right. But we'll we'll mm-hmm. get to that in due course, I'm sure, because for now we have to deal <laughs> well, we've got to deal with faith. Yes. And let me just say what a pleasure it is to see Faith again. Hello, Faith. To see her yeah. kicking ass and taking names, part
1: games. of the team. She is reintegrated now completely. Uh, she has been going on her walkabouts. Yes, she was only contracted for so many Isn't episodes, I guess, oddly this season.
0: Reintegrated. Here she in is, the team. suddenly
1: just part it's of the team.
0: Almost as though the ongoing problems that she has with Buffy and the other Scoobies have been completely forgotten, or perhaps overlooked by someone who or doesn't care that much about
1: them. Unnoticed. Yes, yes. I think <laughs> is more like it. They go unnoticed by but Xander. Mm-hmm. Eliza
0: Dushku. Wow
1: she's fantastic just a knockout performance yeah. in this
0: yeah she is badly one of the sisterhood of Jay Xander hits the demon with his car Faith jumps in and they drive off together back at the motel they run inside Faith relocates her shoulder oh boy
1: in a way that is not like that's I don't, I don't know much about medicine. Approved. I
0: don't think you'd see I'm that I'm not in sure that's ER. how
1: you do I guess if you're a slayer, maybe that's how you relocate a shoulder. Her shoulder works different. A slayer and, and shoulder is different. I do yeah.
0: love that mm-hmm. she's completely pragmatic about it. This yeah. is clearly not the, the first time that it's happened. Right. She just deals with it and gets mm-hmm. it done. But she is left awash with adrenaline.
1: Right, and because as have, we know yes. from the history, from the first episode of Faith was uh-huh. in, that slain makes you hungry and horny. Absolutely. And he's car guy. He can go get her donuts he right after do he's done that. taking care of her As other problem. As it turns out,
0: though, he can take care of her other desire a little more immediately, <laughs> a little more practically, a little more specifically. Faith is probably like 70% adrenaline at yes. this point. But scientists have speculated that Faith is 70% adrenaline 70% of the time. Yes. <laughs> so this is entirely consistent. She directly propositions Xander they have sex. This is a real thing. Yeah. That really happens. And we cut... From that to Xander being sent out into the cold and unlovely night clutching his clothes. Yes. I totally buy that.
1: Oh, absolutely. It Mm -hmm. is a
0: completely compelling encounter, regardless of whether we're in Xander's POV or not. This is one of these things that it works both ways. Mm -hmm. If this is, you know, as Buffy usually is, just a straight depiction of what is actually happening, Mm -hmm. usually we don't speculate about unreliable narration within the frame of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mm -hmm. because it's not a direction that the show goes terribly often. Here, though... It works if this moment is played straight, because this is entirely consistent with what we know of fate. Right. Mm -hmm. And it works if this is colored by Xander's POV, Mm -hmm. because it's entirely consistent with what we know of fate. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that happened. This is a thing that he'll have to deal with. We cut from Xander to the library, where Giles frees Oz from his cage, and Willow puts him down with a tranquilizer rifle. Things are serious. They have to start preparing Mm -hmm. for the coming apocalypse dressed again Xander gets back in his car and goes through the supplies left by Jack and his friends these aren't cake ingredients <laughs> what kind of cake would you make with an obviously empty can of kerosene exactly. also can you buy cans of kerosene <laughs> like that just from any old hardware store downtown in Sunnydale possibly that's a lot of very specific supplies yeah, for a small town hardware store they didn't is, even go to like the Lowe's I know, you know right. that's not even Home Depot
1: a or something that's yes, a real exactly. mama pop store right
0: exactly. <laughs> so Xander goes through the supplies puts together everything and luckily remembers his guiding principle what would buffy do <laughs> what buffy would do of course is have a massively melodramatic showdown <laughs> with angel <laughs> in the garden mansion whatever is coming is bad he loves her she can't watch him die again xander <clears throat> interrupts but realizes that it's probably not a good time
1: and my favorite moment from this whole thing mm-hmm. is just that that little <clears throat> you know yeah. When they're having exactly, like, this is exactly, they're acting it exactly the way that they would. It's being shot exactly the way that Mm -hmm. it would. The only thing is that the music is a little (laughs) bit much. It's a little bit overdone. The music is a little bouncy, But the drama between Angel and Buffy is so, like, classically Angel and Buffy. And then suddenly we hear that, you know, him clearing his throat, and the entire paradigm shifts. I love that.
0: Absolutely adore it. Absolutely Mm -hmm. adore it. What is up? And I ask you this not just as our resident girl here yeah. in the <laughs> One studio, but, but more as someone who pays attention to this stuff a little right. more readily mm-hmm. than I do. What is up with buffy's hair in this episode <laughs>
1: it's because it's kind of got that little curly wave to it all of a sudden which it's, is something that we haven't
0: seen positively frizzy in certain yeah. shots she looks great uh, particularly the scene right at the beginning mm-hmm. with between her and giles in the library when yeah. oz comes in and locks herself uh, locks himself in the cage mm-hmm. that is a beautifully shot scene mm-hmm. and buffy looks fantastic not not just you know beautiful right. because of course but the because way that she's she is th- shot in particular in the way, Geller, right? the way mm-hmm. that she is lit yeah it is a really knockout piece of composition then we get to the scene with her and willie Mm-hmm. And her hair looks insane. It looks like a freight wig. <laughs> and then here again. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. This is this. Is and she goes I'm from. I, mean, I
1: remember there was part of it like her hair was straight and then her hair is curly. Then no. her hair is straight. And, her hair was, and so I don't know what's going on. I think that it was I just they were
0: experimenting. I think it's unreliable narration.
1: I think. It, you know what? I would love if they were deliberately <laughs> messing with Buffy's hair as part of the joke. I would love to talk to the people like behind that. We got to find James Whitmore and get him on. This. I don't
0: know. The only thing <laughs> yeah. that's missing here is that if. If this were Xander's POV, you'd Uh be expecting Buffy to be wearing a little less.
1: Right, right, right. You'd expect all the girls
0: to be just just turned up one notch in their outfits. But uh, perhaps we can't even go quite that far. In the library, Giles is busy with a major ritual, marking the opening of the Hellmouth, ready to bind whatever emerges from beneath them. And beneath them, our undead jocks are planting the bomb. By chance, Xander happens upon them walking down the street, again adding to our theory that Sunnydale all takes place on one linear street. I like that. It's
1: very easy to find the bad guy.
0: He grabs one of the zombie jocks and drags him down the street, getting the answers that he wants. The bomb is under the school, but some inopportune street furniture takes care of the previously dead and now, I guess, re indebted guy. (laughs) before he can tell Xander how to defuse it.
1: Okay, that's another favorite moment. It's all like
0: brilliantly <laughs> like put together. He's
1: interrogating him in the moving car and the mailbox just takes off it's his head. It's really Oh good. my God. Yeah. Beautifully
0: shot, beautifully put together. Yeah. Very Xander. Yes, Very absolutely. Very true to absolutely. And of course, here he is actually leveraging the one thing that makes him special. Exactly. His car. His car. <laughs> you know, we haven't talked about this, but there is a certain balance here yeah. because basically Cordelia's, you know, yeah. redeeming and in some ways defining uh, Characters was that she had a car. <laughs> First two seasons of the show. That was what made Cordelia stand out. That's true. true. She could they're drive. They're... Now they're... she's out of the Scoobies. We mm-hmm. need a replacement. Yeah. Xander really has found his space. <laughs> in the school, Xander runs through the corridors. As we see in the library, the tentacle beast emerge from the Hellmouth larger than before. The gang chases Xander through the school, but he disarms Bob and tips a vending machine over on top of him. <laughs> and when we cut back to that yeah. from the different angle... And we have like Bob's lower torso and legs and the vending machine just flat on the floor. <laughs> this is not, you know, the za- the stacks falling on top well, of the pillow. Well, he's had this a, is-
1: a certain amount of, you know, a time in a grave. So he's sort of a little dried yeah. out, maybe a little eight dehydrated.
0: Months, eight months in the maybe grave. Maybe
1: he's just dusty. And he looks
0: like that. Yeah. I don't know. Eh. It's a little tricky. The whole thing doesn't actually hang together terribly well, because apparently he knew that Jack was going to raise him. That was always part of the plan. Yeah. But Jack only discovered how to raise people after he himself was shot and killed. Mm Mm-hmm. So how did
1: he know? Right. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of this that if you look at it too closely, it is kind of going to fall apart.
0: But for once, it's not that. (laughs) But it's It's, okay because
1: we're we're so deep in Xander's POV. He never understands what's going on. Nothing ever makes sense to him. I I am with
0: you. For once, I'm absolutely (laughs) with you. Xander is halfway through his badass pun when the other zombie runs and we cut to Buffy being hurled down the hallway by whatever they're facing in the library. They flee from the sisterhood of Jay, who tear the zombie apart in an office office, and Xander dodges one of the tentacle appendages and makes his way to the boiler room. He has less than two minutes, and Jack is waiting for him. Xander, though, finds the courage to face Jack down. Who, in the end, has less fear? Really
1: interesting.
0: Really interesting. And there are a lot of people who will point to this episode as proof positive that Xander's defining characteristic is courage. Mm -hmm. And I'm not entirely comfortable with that appraisal.
1: I don't think it's courage. I think it's his ability to understand people. I think it's, we have that five man band idea, right? You know, in which Xander Mm -hmm. is, plays the role of the, you know, the The chick, which is what they call it. The chick. We're We're calling it the heart, (laughs) but he has the role, that emotional connection with people. And I think that when it comes down to it, we see that Xander's superpower is his ability to look at people and see who they are.
0: Let's take a minute to frame the five-man band uh, because I'm not sure that's a very common concept and we haven't talked about it a great deal here on Dusted. The five-man band is a very common structure for dealing with ensemble casts. It is predicated on a hero, one person of valor, the protagonist of the story in this case, that is obviously Buffy. Mm The hero is accompanied by a Lancer. In this case, we have the mentor flavor of yes. Lancer. Mm-hmm. Giles stands beside Buffy. He guides her. He keeps her on the straight and narrow path. Mm-hmm. He also, though, complicates her life. He also applies... And challenges her. Exactly. Yeah. He it's often a best friend leverage. kind of role.
1: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah. You get two flavors of Lancer. Either yeah. the, the cooperative Lancer or the combative Lancer. Yes. You know, either mm-hmm. the one who seeks to help the hero or the one who stands in opposition to the hero. Right. Mm-hmm. The mentor resolutely falls within that former category. Mm-hmm. We then... We then have the strong guy, which in most cases is going to be Angel, but can from episode to episode vary a little. Mm -hmm. We then have the smart guy, which is Willow. Mm -hmm. And then we have what is usually referred to as the chick, but we call that role the heart. And that is Xander. And that Xander's is the character function, keeps
1: you emotionally connected.
0: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. to unify. It's to yep. draw the team together, which is is one of Xander's most interesting roles. And it's something that's true even of this episode mm-hmm. because he unifies all the Scoobies. Right. Mm-hmm. In, admittedly, the decision to sideline him. Exactly. <laughs> but his presence really does right. keep them all together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it keeps them all on the same page. So that is generally Xander's role in the proceeding. And yeah, I, I think, I think it is too simple and I think it is too shallow to simply say that Xander's great virtue is courage. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think it is. I think it's much more complicated than that. I think it's an ability to empathically connect with the people around Mm -hmm. him. It's an ability to be vulnerable. But it's also an ability to be somewhat, you know, indefatigable.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. When
0: the chips are down, Xander stands up. You know, when you get right down to it, Mm -hmm. he will always follow through. Right. And I love that about the character.
1: I love that about him, and I also feel like this is the episode where we really transition into that role for Xander. He's he's kind of danced around that role a little bit in the past, but he's also been very divisive, especially with his whole relationship with Angel and always wanting Angel to be dead and always and yeah. arguing with Buffy and pushing against Buffy in that way. Well, but and the I misfire feel like, of the
0: relationship with Willow and there's know,
1: yeah, there's a lot the of stuff panic. which emotionally he he hasn't. But this is, I think, and I'm going to keep an eye on this as we go because (laughs) listeners of dusted know that i have a very strong sense of who xander is and i feel like this is my xander like we're seeing this is the episode where he transitions i think into that role
0: yes i'm tempted to have a spoiler discussion but the spoiler Mm -hmm. discussion after the music at the end of this episode would just be a shrug yeah because i haven't tracked his actual growth carefully enough through the whole series to determine whether or not this is, this is the an actual point. I'm going to say I think that this him.
1: is. I think that this is the point of inflection where we have a turning point we for will Xander be watching that. and he becomes my Xander completely from he's been in that transition
0: process for a little while That's now. That's part of the problem is yeah. that that transition has really covered you know most of the beginning of the third yeah. season and certainly there are important scenes in the back half of the second season too. Well, and We've I think said there's... more than once oh this is it Xander's here this is our Xander.
1: Right and then we see a little bit but I think that it's something that the writers of the series have been going through too trying to find the role the proper role for xander and i think that they've moved him all over the place he's been you know a a love triangle foil he's been you know i mean he's been combative he's you know been he's been the big guy and where the, he was the soldier for a few episodes yep, and he yep. had that ability. He's got he's kind of played around and danced around on the periphery and I don't feel like his role has really been solidified, but without going too far into spoiler, I've said this before that Xander, the Xander that I remember, is this emotional heart. He is the person who emotionally connects uh, empathetically connects yeah. with what everybody's going through. And um and I think that I think that this episode <laughs> I'm going to go out and say I'm going to go out on a limb I think that this is the episode where we see that transition complete
0: I'm certainly not going to disagree with you and this is absolutely we'll the watch. Xander that I, I remember mean, it's from been a much while, later so, I don't yeah. know if this is him now set on that path yeah. or if he's going to backslide again and then we're finally going to arrive at an episode in the middle of season 4 and say oh this this is Xander this is, is, when is, our Xander. This is my Xander right at the end of season 7 where we yeah. say this is the moment where he shows up
1: <laughs> I think we should have a dusted t-shirt that just says this is my Xander <laughs>
0: I like that okay. I like that a lot. Ah, this is my Xander. This is my Joyce. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There are just a few seconds left on the clock, just enough to cut away to all hell breaking loose, perhaps literally in the library. But Jack has had enough. He disarms the bomb and Xander tells him to stay away from Sunnydale High, then leaves. Jack's all swagger, of course, until he opens the door and Oz descends upon him like the furry spirit of vengeance. (laughs) Oz ate a guy.
1: Oz? Oz ate a guy.
0: That's a thing that happened. That's I mean, a thing we have. It was to, a
1: guy who was technically already dead.
0: Which just makes me worry about his digestive tract, honestly, after this. Yeah. Uh, whatever forces were were reanimating Jack. I don't know that they kept him, you know Yeah. Sealed and fresh. Uh yeah. this uh, it's not a huge plot point, and it's mm-hmm. certainly consistent with the kinds of, of explorations of, of Oz's character yes. that we've seen in the mm-hmm. past. Oz the human is not responsible for what Oz the Wolf does. Right. Mm -hmm. We know that for sure because we don't treat this like it's a serious thing. Yes. Oz the Wolf and Oz the Human are fundamentally and functionally different characters. Mm -hmm. Oz may not always feel that way. Right. But the show clearly asserts that that what he does when he's in werewolf form has no bearing on who he is I mean the limit of Oz's
1: responsibility is getting himself in that cage, which he did. He so, did, I mean, absolutely, he yeah. does He that, is not yeah. to
0: blame here. It, it's a little unclear. Did Willow and Giles lock him up in the basement? Was that their plan? I guess that must have been it. Yeah,
1: okay. it is. It is one of those things that you're kind of, you kind of slide past. that He needs to be in a... Oz needs to be in a different place. They shoot him with the tranquilizer, and then yeah. they must have just put him in that...
0: In the basement to keep in him the basement, safe to keep him and safe out of and, the way. Yeah. Though certainly it is implied that the basement is right underneath the library, which kind of forces us to ask once again... How does the Hellmouth work? Yeah. How is there space under Sunnydale High for all that we've seen under Sunnydale High? Yeah. I mean, there's a bazaar hanging well, out, like, f- just down the hall. Oh, the bazaar? <laughs> I forgot <laughs> about the bazaar.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The maintenance crew at Sunnydale, though, is having a hell of a time.
0: Well, no kidding. They also they don't have a, a great life of expectancy. So yeah. the nice thing is that you really save on benefits. There aren't a lot of uh, pension uh, pensions being paid out to exactly. uh, former employees of Sunnydale High. <laughs> The next day, the Scoobies talk in the vaguest of terms about what went down the night before, which is something that I adore. They Mm -hmm. are beaten and bruised, but they survived another threat and saved the world again. Xander appears and gives no hint of the excitement he faced last night, though let's not forget There's still a bomb in the boiler room.
1: (laughs) It's diffused. It's diffused.
0: But it's still down there. The thing about bombs is the fuse isn't the dangerous part. The fuse is just the part that makes the dangerous part dangerous. Yes. There's still a barrel full of explosives. There's still
1: explosive material in the basement. Sunnydale high. Yeah.
0: We should probably take care of that.
1: Somebody should should put a call in neighbor to the mayor's office. I don't know. Maybe that
0: will be relevant toward the end of the season. Maybe Maybe we can just assume. We'll we'll keep track of the existence (laughs) of that bomb through the rest of the season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. As Xander walks away to get snacks, though not for Oz, who is feeling oddly full, Cordelia appears in the third of her three beats, taunting him again. This time, though, Xander has nothing to prove. He smiles and he walks away without a word, and we cut to credits.
1: And this is my Xander.
0: This is it. This, this is, is
1: my Xander, the guy who's is confident enough. What? What? <laughs> what?
0: what? <laughs> it's it's great. Right. It's a mm-hmm. really satisfying catharsis. Yeah. Using that three beat as a means of, of tracking Xander's mm-hmm. evolution through yeah. the story is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. It really is striking, though, how... How personal Cordelia is. And if we really are going down this rabbit hole, if we really are wondering how much of this episode is real Mm -hmm. and how much is happening inside Xander's head, is that really Cordelia? I don't know. Because I joked earlier about it being like Jiminy Cricket's evil twin. Exactly. But she really could be. Mm -hmm. She really could just be the scrap of Cordelia that's left over in his head. Right. Mm -hmm. It's possible that real-life Cordelia Chase knew about none of this. (laughs)
1: Right. Has no memory of it at all. Showing up
0: in the donut shop, by the way.
1: Exactly. No. Very, very true. And I think (laughs) that we are very deep in uh, in Xander's POV, in Xander's personal experience of these moments, which we know. Deep inside a POV, as anybody who's ever, you know, compared experiences with a friend of the same event, you know, and has a completely different memory of it, Um, memory and perception are so malleable and they're so personal. Um, And being that deep inside POV means that generally, as far as the reliable world goes, you do have an unreliable narrator.
0: The problem with the narration, the problem with being in Mm -hmm. Xander's POV in this episode is that if we're not in his POV, the episode... It it barely hangs together. I yes. like that we amp up the apocalypse. I like that we're facing something that we've never faced before. Right. I like the internal consistency of that. What I don't like is if we are forced to accept that as being a literal depiction of what has happened here, mm-hmm. that we really have faced down a threat unlike any other. This is the second, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm more comfortable spoiling things that don't happen, but we're never going to see the tentacle monster again. Right, right. You mm-hmm. know? If this really is the culmination of an arc that started back in Prophecy Girl, you know, the the opening of the helmet, if the sisterhood of Jay, the worst sorority ever, (laughs) really is this much of a threat, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that Xander would be sidelined for no good reason.
1: Right. I also think, I don't believe that this, uh, that this is the true apocalypse, that this is as bad as, as we see everybody making it out to be. I believe that from Xander's POV okay. that they feel like that. So what,
0: what happened? In the real world, if we saw this episode as we see every other episode, what actually from the, the, really the, the, happened the, Yeah, the, the point of view of a neutral observer. Uh-huh. What actually happened? Because there has to be a sisterhood. Those demons have to exist. Right. Not least of all because they were fighting before Xander presumably got his fictional concussion at the beginning yes. of the episode, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those demons exist. The sisterhood of Jay exists. We know that he ran one down. We assume that he did have sex with Faith. Yes. That's a real thing that happened. No.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The raising of the dead—you're comfortable that that's a real thing that happened. Yes, he probably saw Giles in the graveyard. Giles probably was trying to wrest information from some dread source, right? Mm-hmm. But probably not the the you know fairly cosmic source, that right? We're given.
1: Like I, I feel like these things happened, but from Xander's POV, they look bigger and more dramatic so than they actually really were. Now, the one thing that I'm interested to see is that here we have this moment, and this is the thing, like. Angel and Buffy in season three is just. Weird. Their first kiss yep. back from season three. We miss. We see Xander comes in on them. Yep. You know, and and kiss rests. Their uh, I took yeah. as
0: a nice echo. Yeah,
1: of or immediate kiss is actually That's the better joke. Kiss. Sorry, immediate <laughs> kiss. He he <laughs> comes smooch. Exactly. Now so we he have comes an episode title. There <laughs> in, in the middle of that, um, and so we miss the moment where they pull together, which is a big moment yeah. in a romantic story. Now here we have another one where they have been trying to resist each other. They are not getting satisfaction. We have. Shown that they are going to be just friends to the best of their ability, uh, but they can't really do it. They can't really stay away from each other. But they haven't gotten back together as a romantic couple yet. Here in this moment, I love you, I love you too, and they have this confession to each other which is a big moment i mean that's a big deal now did that really happen in the next episode are angel and buffy going to be dating again are they going to be a couple again
0: again i think that it's exaggerated by xander's Mm -hmm. view of these things and i think that we do actually in that scene perhaps more than any other scene get a clue from the music yes i think the music underscores that this isn't necessarily what is actually happening that this is a more elevated take on their relationship on how
1: their relationship works exactly and this is how he sees Willow this is how he sees Buffy and Angel this is how he sees Giles as Giles is just finding some kind of weird supernatural informational source for everything while being a little preoccupied about jelly donuts exactly exactly (laughs) like this is how he sees them from his perspective and everything is a little bit skewed so I think that some variation of this is actually what happened do I think it's really an apocalypse did it really tear apart the library well, i this mean, is the only
0: thing that makes because we don't have
1: any extended consequence from
0: well, we never do yeah you know two weeks ago I- I- mm-hmm. in gingerbread we saw yeah the, the town of sunnydale tear apart jaws's library next yeah. episode he has it all back it's all there fine. are some consequences mm-hmm. to you know this being an episodic tv well, show from okay, 1999
1: but dumping some books you know is one thing uh having a creature break up through the floor well, we don't to- know that
0: it physically broke up through the floor It it did the first time. It did the first time. But then that was accompanied by earthquakes all over. Did it come in through the door? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm maybe more suggesting a mystical portal. Who's there? (laughs) Apocalyptic demon. Tentacle monster delivery. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I think that the tentacle monster was there. Mm -hmm. Xander saw it. I think that if it was there in its in its in its complete like physical form, Mm -hmm. who can say? Uh, There clearly was a showdown, and I think the reason that we can be confident that. Whatever went down was serious, if not, you know, ultimately apocalyptic, Yeah, is that the next day when we seem to have been restored to a measure of, of yeah. normalcy in the mm-hmm. world, they are all bruised and beaten and they are all somewhat awed by what they've gone through.
1: right. True, but again, know. we're still seeing that from Xander's POV. It
0: could be argued. It so be argued. yeah,
1: um, so I mean, I think that we have a situation with an unreliable narrator. I think I'm actually really happy to accept that as the answer for all of the because things in this episode that, that past, don't make sense. Yeah, it allows because to Xander doesn't some of the know what it is, elements. right? Yeah, exactly. Right, and I kind of, I kind of love that about this episode. I mean, this episode is. Fun and quirky and interesting and silly. Um, yeah. it, it basically ticks all the boxes for me. <laughs> that said,
0: there's not a great deal more to discuss about it the Xander. I think. No, because it, it doesn't is have a whole lot of consequence. Forward. Well, yeah. okay, let's talk about Xander, you know, in the abstract. Let's right. talk about him in terms of his role in the Scoobies. Mm-hmm. Is Cordelia's, you know, fake head Cordelia, is her assessment of him as being superfluous, as Mm -hmm. being unnecessary, as being the Zeppo, Mm -hmm. is that helpful? Is that insightful? Is that useful? I think
1: no. I think it's a reflection of what he like. You know how, and this is is a normal part, right? This is a normal part of human interaction. Somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, how are you?" And what you hear is, "Oh my God, you loser!" You know. Um, And sometimes we hear things that are not necessarily what people say. Now, Cordelia is in no way going to be polite about this sort of thing. This is exactly the kind of thing that Cordelia would say. To Xander, and I do believe that the angry, mean, vengeful voice inside his head is absolutely Cordelia's voice, you know, the things that he says to himself, right? Because it's
0: also associated with guilt and shame, and he should feel guilty, and he should feel ashamed of the things that he's done. Um, Yeah, no, I really like that. You may have just, (laughs) you may have actually just pulled this whole episode together for me. Mm -hmm. You may have have just pulled it into focus for me, because if this whole thing about Xander's Position in the group. If this whole thing about his his defining characteristic, Mm -hmm. his thing, his mojo, his cool, if his exploration of those things is rooted first in fear, then Mm -hmm. we have a very clean thematic through line that that unifies the entire episode.
1: Who has less fear? At the end, that's what we, we build ourselves it's up to.
0: It's kind of a feel the fear and do it anyway message, yeah, right? Yeah. Because what is he afraid of? Well, he's afraid of being superfluous. He's afraid yeah. of not being necessary, of not being valued, of not being wanted, mm-hmm. as we all are at right. that point. Mm-hmm. You know, he's afraid of sex. Yeah. He's afraid of women. He's mm-hmm. afraid, I think, specifically of faith. Mm-hmm. He's afraid that he's not going to be able to save the day, that he's not going to be able to play his part. Mm-hmm. He's afraid of facing people like jack you know, yeah. we have this line he's fought vampires he's fought all these things right. how come he can't stand up to jack
1: mm-hmm. because jack makes him feel like a loser his fear is yeah. that he is a loser that he is not up to the task of being a scooby of being part of this team of being valuable
0: i fear that there is someone listening to this podcast right now who yeah. doesn't buy at all the idea that we're <laughs> deep in Xander's pov and right. this has just been the most frustrating hour of their lives
1: oh I certainly could see that but yeah the problem is that but I think that's what makes it genius is being you, that deep in his right. POV
0: if you take the Zeppo literally yeah it's a wildly imperfect and inconsistent episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer absolutely that really asks some very awkward questions mm-hmm. about the, the cosmology the mythology right. of Buffy if you take it as an exploration of Xander's character yeah and you understand and that, his that the psychology? world is exaggerated in this cartoonish way because we're in Xander's POV yeah. it's damn near perfect
1: it is absolutely and that's how I see this episode that's part of why I love this episode so much.
0: Well, we should pick a place for it. Let's
1: do that. On the
0: great list of every Buffy episode ever, we currently have 43 entries on the list. We've mm-hmm. unified some episodes. Yeah. Our top three right now, Lovers Walk, <laughs> also written by the same author. Yes. Becoming part one and part two, and Passion, right up there in the top three slots. What do we think? Is this competing? Is the Zeppo competing right off the bat for a position in the top three? For you? I
1: don't think it's competing for a position in the top three. While I love this episode, I think it is brilliant um, and so much fun and it does what it does damn near perfectly. I feel like, an, like other episodes have, done more for us as far as hitting those deep emotional notes as far as moving a bigger story forward this doesn't really this is a a standalone brilliant episode in and of itself but it does kind of stand outside it's of disposable. The Buffy. It as sadly, not yet, no, for how good it, it, it is. It doesn't make me happy to say but that As far word either, as the but, big story yeah, goes, yeah. yeah, like you could not watch this episode and but, not miss you know, anything except pieces, apparently Buffy and Angel getting back together. <laughs> character but.
0: pieces are oftentimes disposable. The Wish was, yeah. a, was a Cordelia character piece. Yeah. At least the first half of the Wish was a Cordelia character piece. Until she was killed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And that
0: was fundamentally, I mean, that was absolutely disposable mm-hmm. in as much as it had no consequence whatsoever on but the still real Buffy
1: Brilliant. So, I mean, the thing is that, like, there's, There are so many different things to look at, and I think that an episode accomplishes what it sets out to do is a big consideration, and I believe that the Zeppo does that.
0: So is this episode... Something like Halloween, a fun episode that is fairly disposable, you know, that's built to be a comedic gag episode. Is it more something like Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, a Xander driven episode where Mm -hmm. we kind of have to accept, okay, this isn't going to have lasting consequence, but it's pretty fun while we're there. Is it something more like... The Wish, where this is actually a deep analysis of one of our main characters.
1: Wow. Where does it fall for you? Oh, God. Like, honestly, anywhere in there it could for me. I mean, that is such a wide range. But I look at all these episodes, and I think I could put it anywhere between, like, Seven and 20. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I would put it better than Band Candy, but I mean, I could see putting the Zeppo above What's My Line, part one and yep. part two. Well, the
0: reason that I picked, you know, Halloween, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered and The Wish is yeah. that when we sat down to record, I was thinking about Halloween. I was thinking yeah. it's going to go somewhere around there. Right. Having now discussed it, if it really does. And this is the thing. Death of the author, right? No yeah. matter if this stuff was unintentional.
1: It the fact works, that though, we can find with that unreliable narrator form. It, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. If you really take the fact that that this is the story told from from an unreliable point of view. Which is
1: genius. Yeah.
0: It all works. It doesn't just work adequately well. It works better. If you take that this story is all about fear, that it's Mm -hmm. all about Xander's fear of his own inadequacy, of sex, of Uh finding his place in the world, and you stitch that together, you you draw all of these disparate elements together into one cohesive and Mm -hmm. brilliant whole. Yeah. I think if the story works for you if you can see in this episode what we have seen I think in the course of the last hour in this yeah, episode which
1: I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the responses to to see oh, if I you guys saw wait. that too Yeah, absolutely. because it completely once I have I really understood it as an unreliable narrative that we were so deep in Xander's POV I've always enjoyed this episode just because I love I love funny because oh, it's funny and because it gets decapitated by a it's funny and, and you know? cute exactly like there's adorable jokes in it there's and Giles honestly and the jelly donuts. Right, there's like, nothing but good the, stuff the in this deep story. philosophy is the stuff that's written for you this is a Lonnie <laughs> episode this was written 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 for me you know and i understand that and i understand that's why but i mean the unreliable narrator version of this the deep deep in pov presentation of this story i think makes it work on such a higher level and not just the writing but the directorial interpretation of that writing contributes to that
0: that leaves us in a tough spot it is i've got to tell you we're taking it i want to put it after
1: band candy and above what's my line I want mm. it up there. I love this episode. And I got to tell you, I love Dan Weber. I'm going to go and look up whatever he's written for anything else. Yeah, he really is that. He's brilliant in, Yeah. In, in,
0: in Buffy scripts. I'm going
1: to hunt him down and make Underband him listen to these candy episodes. And too. above
0: What's My Line. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Yeah. That, What's My Line is still pivotal. What's yeah. My Line is still a fundamentally important episode. Mm hmm. And even if everything that we've discussed is true of the Zeppo, even if, you know, it really is this unified, beautiful meditation on Xander's character, it's still disposable. But then I guess so is the wish. So is band So is candy. band
1: candy. But it, the, I think what I'm looking at is Here's, how well is this? <laughs> it's not just how well it's written, but how beautifully it's interpreted from the director's POV. And we've yeah. seen we've oh, seen James executed. Whitmore do beautiful work, but this has well, and we've a seen psychological do, subtlety to it that I think is really Whitmore interesting. We've seen Whitmore do brilliant
0: work, and I only have eyes for you, yeah. but he also did Gingerbread, and he also did you know, Beauty and the I'm Beast. I'm
1: not sure the directorial was a problem in Beauty either and of those. the beasts the
0: direction was shaky eh. it, it wasn't great
1: but i'm not judging him on what he's done before i'm judging him on what he's doing in this one and i think the directorial vision in this is brilliant oh,
0: no i'm bringing up those other episodes yeah. to emphasize just how good it is here he, he really, really
1: has nailed work. it yeah um
0: the problem for me, you know, we're talking about the episodes which are which are bait for us, the episodes mm-hmm. which are, are perfectly tuned to us. Right. If this is a meditation on Xander's character, then for me, it sits very comfortably alongside immense. Yeah. I don't want to keep raising the ante oh. here.
1: <laughs> so you're going to move it even higher.
0: If you take The Wish as an examination uh. of character and you take The Zeppo as an examination of character, I think I like The Zeppo more.
1: Well, you know how much I love this episode. So if you go going to keep pushing it up, I'll go with you.
0: I, it can't go higher than that. It obviously I don't can't think go higher so. than that. I think it would be- Honestly, if, if we put it that high, I may come back to this list next week and say, what were we thinking? I
1: know. No, but I think that the Zeppo is brilliantly, it's a brilliantly executed piece of, of psychological fiction. And I absolutely love what it does. And it does take I think, and one of the other things I love about it is that it does take a deeper, more thoughtful read to see what makes
0: it so brilliant. Plus. It's just funny. If you mm-hmm. haven't thought of any of this stuff and you just watch it, it's forty-four it's, it's minutes funny of funny and enjoyable and entertaining, and of, of right? Subversive, you know, genre-bending, yeah. format-bending, metatextuality. You know, mm-hmm. it has a great take and a great understanding of what Buffy is as a show. Mm-hmm. Not so much in perhaps the first two acts of its story, but right. by the time we get to the end and we have Xander dash past the library, yeah. while well, we have that cutaway to Buffy being thrown down the hallway by mm-hmm. an unseen force, we have all of this great stuff that shows. A profound awareness mm-hmm. of what this show is and right. what this show does, and does that kind of of almost self-parody, yeah, with a great deal of affection and enthusiasm, and lest we forget commitment, yeah, they spent more money on this episode. Than oh, seriously. Basically any other episode. And I can think of And for something from season that's three. so
1: brief for these brief little shots, yeah. they did a lot with it. I don't know. I would put it as long as it's above what's my line because I feel like it is it is better and stronger. What's my line, I think has um has a real weight in season two. But as far as how well it's actually written, I think that that, you know that you can talk. this is written and executed and interpreted beautifully. I
0: love the wish. you know that I do. Yeah. I think it's better than the wish. I think okay. it goes between. I'm happy to put it between amends
1: and the wish. I am happy. I didn't think <laughs> I would get you up that far. That is a
0: provocative. Position I thought for you were going to yell at me when I was like, you. "Oh,
1: I'd put it above surprise and innocence."
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, it's funny because no, I think I was. I think I was in terms of the ranking. Yeah, I was much hotter on it than you were because I think maybe you didn't think that I, it would go that high. But.
1: Well, no, I didn't. I guess, yeah, I, no. I, thought, I thought I might get it up there, you All know, right. because I knew this was my episode written for me, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily written for everybody else. But the more that we talk about it, uh, the more brilliant I think it is. Yeah.
0: Well. No, I like it. There it is. I have added it to the list as we speak. There we go. The Zeppo now sixth on our list between Amends and The Wish. Wow. And you know what? I feel good about that. I feel good about it too. I, I feel think really that's awesome. About it. And we're seeing a list that is that is becoming very skewed towards season three. It season really, three.
1: Season three is so good. It's just it is so, so good. So good. Yeah.
0: This has been a really fun conversation. Is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap this thing up?
1: I don't think so. I think I'm done. I think <laughs> I'm right. pretty much loved up on this episode as much as I can.
0: We are going to take a break next week, you guys. You may have heard this on some of our other podcasts. If you listen to More Than Just Dusted, if you don't listen to More Than Just Dusted, head on over to StoryWonk.com. We do a number of podcasts. We do a and lot of pretty stuff, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh We are going to take next week off. Next week is our big summer vacation. But stay tuned to StoryWonk.com, where you will find a blog post detailing some of our favorite episodes of all the podcasts we've done over... Wow, it's almost been six years now that we've been podcasting together. Mm -hmm. So we are going to link out to some of our favorite episodes. Uh, We're definitely going to link, I think, to our discussion of Lost, Mm -hmm. uh, which will function as a nice prologue to what may be the follow-up series to Dusted sometime far, far in the future. So no new show next week, but we will be back the week after with, oh my God, another one of my favorites, Bad Girls.
1: Oh my goodness. This is when it really starts heating up.
0: This is really it. And we we light a rocket under Buffy and it doesn't let up until the very end of season three. I can't wait to get into that. So that will come to you live two weeks from today. (laughs) Until then, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Please get in touch and let us know what you thought of the Zeppo. You can email us podcast at storywonk.com. You can find us on Twitter at Storywonk, and you can stop by the Storywonk Forum, forum.storywonk.com. We can't wait to hear what you made of the episode and what you made of our episode. <laughs> yes. So we're taking next week off. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And
1: I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted.